Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and buckler, arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net for me without cause, and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, Who is like you, O Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. Ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good and leave my soul forlorn. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. Attackers gathered against me when I was unaware. They slandered me without ceasing. Like the ungodly, they maliciously mocked, they gnashed their teeth at me. O Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my life from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly, among throngs of people I will praise you. Let not those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Let not those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peaceably, but devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. They gape at me and say, Aha, aha, with our own eyes we have seen it. O Lord, you have seen this. Be not silent. Do not be far from me, O Lord. Awake and rise to my defense. Contend for me, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness, O Lord, my God. Do not let them gloat over me. Do not let them think, aha, just what we wanted, or say, we have swallowed him up. May all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion. May all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, the Lord be exalted. Who, exult, who delights in the well-being of his servant. My tongue will speak of your righteousness and of your praises all day long. Thanks, Anthony. Well, a very good evening to you all. We start, as Pete said, our summer psalm series tonight. And as we just read it, you'll have noticed it isn't actually very, it doesn't sound very summery, uh, really. And uh, the other thing, and um, perhaps notice at this stage, is that even though the sun is out, and schools break up, we get a holiday, but actually the pain and anguish of life 
doesn't disappear. Wars don't stop. They may even start. Evils don't rest. And it's very important that we know how to bring the wrongs of this world to God in prayer. And that's what we're going to look at tonight as we look at this psalm together. And we'll pray now that God will teach us a great deal about how indeed we are to think about his holiness and his justice in, a, in his word. So as I've been looking at this over the last few weeks, I've been wrestling with it, but it really is a, a terrific psalm um, for us to look at um, tonight. So let's, let's pray together as we start. <coughs> Listen, O heavens, and I will speak here, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. And Father, we do pray indeed tonight that we would all be brought to praise of your greatness as we hear your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder how concerned are we about the wrongs committed around us? How badly does it affect you? How badly does it offend you when people dishonor God? Are we ever at risk of playing Christianity? Lots of perhaps friendly chat with Christian friends, but a fear of ever getting too serious about all of it. Well, a psalm such as Psalm 35, it reminds us of the importance of not sanitizing Christianity into nice hymns and cups of tea and cake, or if you're a student, or 20s and 30s, pizza and baked potatoes. The purposes of God are real and true, and they are majestic for those who know him, but terrifying for any who try to stand against him. And we have a question right in the middle of this psalm, verse 10. Who is like you, O Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. Who is like the Lord? Well, no one is like him. He is a holy judge. It's his nature to always make the absolutely correct and fair decision every single time. No one cares about doing the right thing like he does. No one has much concern for the oppressed as he does. Even our greatest advocates for justice can't get close to how he stands up for what is right and for what is good. And the writer of the psalm, Psalm 35, it's Israel's King David. And he knows he has a God who rules in justice And he also knows how extremely important this is. We can feel the heat of David's situation very quickly as we read through. He's clearly a man uh, that's being wronged. There is ruthless abuse, bullying, betrayal from people that he cares for. Verses 12 to 14, we've got that. David prays for these people. He does them good. He cares when they get sick. He grieves what they've become, but they care nothing for him. They only want to see him ripped apart, and they take delight in his pain. And David calls to the one person 
He knows he can seek help in such a situation. He cries out, verse 1, Contend, O Lord, contend, O Lord, with those who fight against me. Do it for me, Lord. I need you. Save me. Help me. Speak out for me. Fight for me, my great Lord of the heavens. Contend. Do justice for the sake of your good and glorious name. Do justice. Do the right thing. And we're given two pictures in this introduction. So the introduction, really, it's broken up into three. Uh, So we've got the verses one to three. um, So this introduction, four to ten, we've got this imagery of uh, of battle, and then from verse 11, really, to, to verse 18, we've got this uh, sort of this scene of, of um, the court, and then from 19 on, it seems to just be a, um, a mixture of those themes, but with a sort of a re- repeating and a sort of growing angst uh, uh, and growing of, of the rebellion against David. And so these two big pictures, this first picture, uh, which continues in 11 to 18, contend, it's be my lawyer, Plead for me in the courtroom. You see, David, he wants to invest all his savings in this supreme defense lawyer, the one every dishonest prosecutor or witness in the city, they fear because he never gets it wrong. He is a fearsome opponent and David pleads for his employment. So we're given that, that's the first picture. And then the second picture, David calls on this ultimate victorious warrior to fight ahead of him in battle. So in Homer's Odyssey, we've got Agamemnon. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't take Troy without the might of Achilles fighting in the battlefield. Well, in a much greater way here, David knows victory only comes by the Lord fighting on his behalf. He's going before him. He is desperate for this mighty one who simply spoke and planets came into existence. He flung up the sun like a kid would throw a frisbee. This is the God he wants to fight for him. He wants this warrior of relentless and unquenchable power fighting ahead of him. It's his shield, his defense, his spear and javelin for attack. And all fear will be gone. And above the din of battle, while David is desperate to hear one sound, one voice alone, his contender, his warrior God, telling him, verse three, I am your salvation. Know it in your innermost being, David. I have your back. I am your salvation. I hope you know that tonight. Whatever you're going through, perhaps at the moment, as a Christian, it is the Lord who looks after you. It is this Lord who looks after you. Let your soul hear it tonight. The Lord is your salvation. And so the battle imagery, it continues on in verses four to 10. These enemies seek to kill David, verse four. And it's important at this stage to note who David is. David is the anointed king of Israel. He's God's choice to lead God's people. So an attack on David's life is putting themselves in enmity against God himself. That's who they're up against when they choose to fight God's appointed king. They choose to fight against God. And David calls on his God to make things right. 
He calls on God to disgrace them, to shame them, to turn them back, turn back in dismay. You have chosen the wrong enemy. And you know a battle is one when an army turns back, but this isn't a quest for territory here. So where the enemy can, can flee, and you can leave them to flee because they've vacated the land that you want, that's not what's going on here. No, this is more than that. This is a battle for what is right and what is good. So evil, it must be crushed. So not to raise its nasty, abusive head again. And that means even as the enemy turns and runs, they are chased. Justice is to find them. And that's what we've got here, the angel of the Lord. Uh, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament has this, is this character of a special protector um, of God's people in the Old Testament. He doesn't leave them to, to flee, but he pursues them. Justice means they cannot simply be restrained from doing what's wrong. They must be punished for it. And at this point, I want to spend a little bit of time speaking into some questions uh, you may have about this idea of David praying against um, his enemy. It's generally in the category of the imprecatory psalms, which is this idea of praying curses uh, down on God's enemies. Well, a question I'm sure you may have at this stage, well, was it right? Was it right for David uh, to do this? Verse 8 May ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net, the hid, entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord. It's not the sort of prose, is it, that would make it under a Christian greeting card. Well, how can we reconcile this with verses with, I'm sure probably it's coming to many of your heads at the moment, Jesus' teaching, Luke 6, 27, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Was David being vindictive out for personal retribution? Well, it's actually not what we know of David in the Old Testament. We're given a number of examples where David goes through a horrible time being hunted down by King Saul, the predecessor king of Israel. And David is presented, both one Samuel, if you're taking notes, 1 Samuel 24 and 26, 2 Samuel 1, David is presented with a few golden opportunities to take his revenge as Saul hunts him down. But each time he refuses to do it. It's up to the Lord to judge. It's up to the Lord to end my persecution. David would not touch the anointed one, which was Saul. They would not touch him. It's up to the Lord to decide. And this is hugely significant as we read the psalm david doesn't ask god to give him the opportunity to act against his enemies here he's not asking god to be the avenger himself david knows god is a righteous judge who only condemns the guilty so there is no quest for personal retribution but for a good god to do what's right for his glory and David is very careful here not to decide that for God. He knows who's in control. And we also, perhaps another, another thought that might have come into your mind, you shouldn't think that there's a disparity here between the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. So personal hatred and vengeance of enemies is explicitly forbidden in the Old Testament. So when the Apostle Paul sets out the Christian response to evil people in Romans 12, he quotes from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And that's what we see David do here, just as we are to entrust God to be the judge, not us. Well, he is the only one able to discern the correct time to act and in the appropriate measure. So how are we to understand David's way of praying? Well, we are to note David's position. So he is, as I've said, he is the king of Israel. He is king. That's God's chosen and anointed servant. So he represents something more than himself. So he represents peace and stability for a nation. Any malice towards him is a stand against God and his plans for his people. So it's not just against David, it's against God and it's against his people. And we're also to note what David's enemies are doing. The king identifies with and has concern for the oppressed. Verse 10, you rescue the poor from those who too strong for them, the poor and needy, from those who rob them. These are wicked men that oppress. They're wretched men doing disgusting things, and they appear to harden their hearts against God and against David. And so in verse 11, we've got this, uh, after the battle scene, it switches to the law court. Again, the enemies, they're enjoying David's pain. Verse 15, when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. Verse 12, he does them good. He treats them as friends in verse 14, and they repay him only with evil. These men are God-haters whose contempt runs deep. And David, he's not coming up with anything new here. He's simply praying what God has already taught So God has been very clear through the Torah, the law, and throughout the Bible, there are two camps, those who trust and rely on him, the blessed, and those who refuse to submit to God's rule and go their own own way, the cursed. And David prays, understanding that God is there for all who want to trust in him. God is there for all who want to trust in him. But he will act justly against those who refuse him. He made it clear to David's forefather, we've enjoyed going through Genesis uh, this year, well, to Abraham, God said, Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. God makes it very clear throughout, we put ourselves in a very, very dangerous position when we stand against him and his plans. So those who have pleasure at the trouble of another, verse 19. Those who hate another without reason, verse 19. Those who make unfair accusations of others, in verse 20. 
You see, as much as it might seem like they get away with it, well, David knows the Lord will not be silent forever. And at this moment, and as I reflect myself through this, any of you with good self-awareness might be starting to think at this stage as you read through the psalm, how you sail dangerously close to be in this enemy camp more so than the righteous. Well, can I encourage you, listen carefully as we go further into understanding of what's going on here. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that's exactly who you were. We were all God's enemies, all wearing the clothes of shame and disgrace of verse 26. And yet there is something very important and very special to understand about this psalm. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ identifies himself in this psalm. And this is very special. Not first as the vindicator, but the one who is crushed. John 15, 25, he quotes verse 19. They hated me without reason. You see, we have here David, the despised, chosen king. And he is a forerunner to the Christ, the one high above all else, all others, God's ultimate chosen king. And he is, was, Jesus, the despised. Jesus, whose enemies winked the eye, hated without any hint of cause, He was compassionate. He came to bring peace with our maker. And his enemies hated the idea. And they killed him for it. Well, this is the king who transforms enemies to become followers. And his followers, while they are captivated by him in his eternal, holy essence, they're drawn to his character humbled and amazed to the extent of the sacrifice he has made for them. Slain by his enemies, for his enemies. That is the only reason David's cry isn't a pointless cry into a void, unresponsive space. Contend for me, my God and my Lord. The only way he can, re- can call that out and expect an answer It is because Christ has died for him. That's where David can have such confidence. The almighty God fights on my behalf against all who fight against me because the almighty God came and was crushed. And David's marvelous conclusions to each section of prayer rings so true. Verse 10, you rescue the poor. Verse 18, among throngs of people, I will praise you. Verse 28, my tongue will speak of your righteousness and of your praises all day long. Christ, Jesus Christ, has died to rescue and for throngs of past enemies, many of us here tonight, to turn and praise his glorious name to praise God for his righteousness all day long. 
And can I just say for a moment, if you're here tonight and still considering what this, who this God is, what Christianity is all about, we want you here, we want you here. You're very welcome um, here to hear and to discuss and think more about this. But can I say to you, he is a very, very important God. He is the one and true and loving God who wants to contend for you and you are invited to come to him. And so I ask you even tonight, give up your enemy status and submit to him. And we're in the middle of wedding season. Well, you'll receive no greater invitation than this one offered by this God. And so I do ask, I plead with you really, come before him tonight and surrender your spear and have him look after you. That's what David's done. And he didn't look back. Who is like you, O Lord? Answer, no one. No one is like him. No one is this good. No one loves you like he loves you. No one commits to this level of sacrifice. Enthroned with heavenly creatures surrounding Jesus in worship. And he fell to the silence of a dark tomb in death. And as we finish, well, you may be thinking, how can we use this psalm ourselves personally? Well, it's a prayer. And so we should pray it. But we must not pray it with a bitter attitude of personal vendetta. That's not what's going on here, as I've explained. So we don't pray it with a personal vendetta against those that hate us, but with hurt and brokenness and a soul concern for God's glory, with praise that his justice will reign. We pray and worship to him, and if you rely and submit to him, will he count you as righteous? Because it's Christ's righteousness that you have been given. We pray in Christ. That's the only way a Christian can pray this psalm. In Christ. It's the only state that God accepts us. And as we pray for evil to stop, well, we will appreciate more how holy God is and how contemptible enmity with him is. There is nothing trivial about it. And at this point, I'd feel it would be a helpful reminder of what many Christians do face today and which is actually the expected experience of being a Christian in an unbelieving world, deeply hostile to the gospel. So verses like 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted seems to be the normal life of a Christian that we're to expect. Well, David suffered as a forerunner to Christ Jesus. Jesus suffered the cruelest and deepest of mistreatment. And those who follow Jesus now, well, they too walk a persecuted road. So, for example, as we prayed this month in our church family prayer meeting, we prayed for India, India with 64 million Christians, that's many souls, but very much in the minority of a country of 1.3 billion and militant Hindu group connected with the government. We were praying because they have vowed to wipe out 
Christianity by, from the country by 2021. And there is story after story of Indian Christians undergoing wild persecution. Christian children being raped and killed. Violent crowds attacking church gatherings. Christians arrested for simply praying. And we must pray alongside them. Contend for them, our God and Lord. And we must pray as we pray this and bring justice. Bring justice on those who wrong you, God. And yes, he might in his mercy choose to use our prayers as we pray this way to bring enemies to repentance. He may indeed in his mercy do that as we pray. And as he does it, well, that should bring us to a wonderful recognition of what the cross, the scope of the cross, the instrument on which judgment will fall as people are converted. But justice must reign, and we are to pray as such. And as we pray for God's judgment, we are praying for justice to be done. And when he brings people to repentance... well, that should only bring us to see more this scope of how wonderful the cross is. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And so as we pray pray these and as we close tonight, as we pray these prayers, well, it will benefit us in many ways, I believe. It will increase our partnership in the gospel with persecuted Christians. But if they're not in front of us, we can so easily forget And it should strengthen our family bond with suffering brothers and sisters. And I do encourage you tonight, if you haven't, check out the excellent Open Doors organization. You can find out all about it online to see how you can love them more. They've got lots of wonderful material and ways that we can um, encourage them more. And as we pray this psalm, and those like it, there are plenty of them actually in the New Testament uh, this, these type of psalms, these cursing psalms, the imprecatory psalms, um, are used uh, roughly twice as many on average uh, as the rest of the psalms. So the New Testament found them to be very important in how we pray um, to God and relate um, to him and understand his justice. Well, we want an increased awareness of God's holiness. We should desire much less apathy towards evil and a sharpened sense of the reality facing those who don't know him. Well, it's a, it's a hard psalm in many ways, but a brilliant one, because just, God's justice is brilliant. And we should praise him now for it. So let's, let's pray before we stand again and sing. Let's pray. We do now pray, Father, alongside David, contend, O Lord. Contend for your persecuted people. We thank you that you contend for what's right and for what's good and for your glory. And I do pray tonight, as we've been looking at this, that we would indeed lose, if we have, an apathy towards evil that we would have a heightened and increased sense of wrongdoing that goes against your name and that we would have a wonderful and 
deep longing for Jesus to make things right. That we would have a deep sense of your forgiveness for each of us who were all enemies but have been brought into your kingdom. And that we would praise your name for your goodness and mercy to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.